Okay, so we're going to get right into it because we have a hard stop at two. I know a bunch of you are probably going to see the play afterwards. And so this is really exciting because there's never, we don't even see each other when we record. We talk on the phone. Yeah. Um, and, and the ability of, uh, of us to get together in a room like this, it's like, it's revolutionary. It actually is. And I see that we've got a real diversity of age in the room. There's folks in the room that remember a time where like community was normal, that you would, you know, you would spend time together, <laughs> right? That you'd help each other out. Um, and there's a whole set of folks in the room for who community's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, you got your headphones in, sit on the subway, you try not to look at anyone too much because they might think you're weird and you're not weird, right? And this is characterizing what life has turned into for so many of us. And so the opportunity for us to be in a room together, I, I, I want that to underpin how important that really is for our collective growth and to also just feel good. I mean, do you folks feel good today? Yeah, yeah Sandy, you feeling good? I'm feeling mostly good. I mean, I... <laughs> I came in on a red eye last night, or like this morning, and then I got like two hours of sleep, and here I am. So I hope to be the funniest and most entertaining that I've ever been, uh, which is which is like there's a higher probability of that is when I'm sitting next to Nora because she's funnier than I am. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. But what are we going to talk about today? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, we've been talking about the elections for the last couple of weeks, and today will be no different. <laughs> because the election is very close, and there's been some things that have happened this week that we think that we should talk about. But we're not just going to talk about the election. We're also going to talk about the arts a little bit and how important it is for the arts to be involved in politics and to reflect politics back to us and what how the arts can be a vehicle for social change. Because that's something that's really close to my heart, and I think... Uh, I think that we can all appreciate how the arts can really shape our world. And so that's, that's the setup. That's right. And so last October, or last September, I guess, October 1st, there was an election in Quebec. It was a provincial election. And I'm part of a left-wing party in Quebec. And this party always you know, had a really great connection with people when we talked to people about what we wanted to do with the province. You know, we're talking about free education and, and, and free transit and just transforming the, the, the carbon economy to be, to be a sustainable economy. But we had this like, perennial problem around artists. We could not talk to artists. There was a block. And in Quebec City, I mean, you kind of need artists. Those, they're the only people that are like cool, because otherwise you're a bureaucrat. Um, uh, and everyone who's a bureaucrat in the room, like, you're, that's cool too. It's, I mean, we need our taxes to be processed, and we love them, actually. We love the public services. <laughs> but we, there, was, um, there was a merger with, with the party, which is called Quebec Solidaire, with another party called Option Nationale. And they're, they're a party of artists. And the collision of these two groups of people was incredible. Because all of a sudden, we were able to capture the political line of, uh, of kind of like this traditional progressive party in Quebec with the artistic expression of what does it feel like, what does it look like when we're fighting against injustice? What does it look like when we've won 
uh, 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 something for once. Um, and I'll never forget uh, being underneath overpasses in Quebec City. We had placards set up on easels and we had spray paint and we had paint and we invited anybody walking by to come and, 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 and deface our placards in the middle of the election. And you know, we had invited like 10 street artists to come to show us like how to do it without it being just like, ah. But what people <laughs> created was so amazing that it became the look of the campaign, the feel of the campaign, and it just gave us that extra kind of spirit that we really needed to get past just talking about politics all the time, because my goodness, politics are so boring. And so, you know, and we won, and the, the victory was enormous. I mean, we won by 8,000 votes. Um, and if you're interested in campaign images and look, like look up Catherine Dorian, Catherine Dorian, I guess, in English, um, and to, to look at that aesthetic. And I'm looking at the, the, the federal election, and, and we're starting to see that with the excitement around Jagmeet Singh, I think. And, and it's, it's launching people's, I think, aspirations for the old parties to go away to just collapse, hopefully, maybe, or to turn themselves into something <laughs> different. And I don't know, Sandy, like, you're, you're not here anymore. What do you, uh, I mean, you're not in Toronto. <laughs> You've moved to the United States. <laughs> what, are you, what are you seeing in, this, in the last couple of weeks of this election? Like, how has that artistic expression changed how people are, are looking or talking about uh, being excited about politics? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that uh, we are seeing like some art being made about what's happening in the election uh, in terms of like memes and things that are people are sharing online uh, that are really hopeful and are trying to drive like a message about um, what are what the possibilities are for our future. And that's what I think is so important about the arts being uh, engaged in politics. When we organize anything, um, so much of, uh, of what we organize has to be done in conjunction with artists. Uh, and I'm talking about Black Lives Matter here. Um, because we always want a vision for what's possible in the future to be a part of what we do when we're organizing. And I'm seeing not quite the same level, surely, in, the, in what's happening in politics right now. Uh, but you know, I'm seeing uh, some people engaging in that way. And that's so important, because you could feel a sense of, say, despair about the way our, uh, you know, our society is organized or the way that politics is going, um, and know that there's something wrong. But it's the artists that will help us put together the the logic behind that and what how we could what sort of vision for the future we could create and i think that that's so 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 important and um, you folks i mean we we read the scripts for the play that you're about to see and so you folks will hopefully see that a little bit of that um, afterwards as well um, other things also happened this week oh, we, oh yes they did they did um, so there was the French language debate. Yeah, did anyone watch the French language debate? A little couple of people, yeah, un petit peu, du monde qui parle français un peu, non? Okay, bon. And of course, speak French. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. <laughs> and of course, we watched the English language debate. Yes, we did. And you heard us talk about it, maybe? Uh huh, okay, yeah. So we actually, I, I would say that, that, that this week was like a shift, night and day, 
or day to night, like total difference. Has anyone else noticed that? It's okay if you haven't, we'll, we'll spell it out for you. But there's been, <laughs> there's been a shift in the way that the parties are engaging. So one, to meet obviously is doing very well. Yes. And I think the, you know, the political milieu is recognizing that and we're seeing a massive surge. And so the liberals are responding to that in a really interesting way. Oh, are they trying to outflank them on the left like they always do? Absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. They have gone to the right. Has anyone else noticed that in this week? The rhetoric that uh, the liberals have been putting out, which is, again, we, I mean, we are constantly uh, criticizing the liberals on, on our show and like, this is it. <laughs> like, this is what we're talking about. It's just like, there's no real philosophical underpinning. It's just kind of like, which way is the wind blowing today? Okay, don't think we're going to be able to get those votes from Jugmeet, but you know, Shear's doing pretty, pretty bad. So let's take those votes instead. And that's kind of what's happening if you've uh, been paying attention. So there was an announcement in Quebec, right? Like, or, or no. Trudeau did some sort of talk it, or something. Yeah, it wasn't an announcement. So, you know, the, we had the French language debate, and the way that the debate was organized was quite calm. I mean, it helped that most of the folks didn't speak French, so they're kind of like, you know, <laughs> that really brings down the temperature in the debate. <laughs> but uh, but the, they were not, there was no open season for six people to argue with each other. It was always three on three, and they mixed up the threes. And, um, and in one of the three on threes, uh, Trudeau just kind of was like, you know what? I totally support Quebec's immigration system because Quebec is the only province that manages its immigration system. It's like, okay. And I fully support Quebec's right to screen immigrants, which if you live in Quebec and you're watching this debate, we have a government that wants to impose a, a French test on immigrants, which is ridiculous because the most immigrants that come to Quebec come from where? France. Right, they come from France, and if they don't come from France, they come from French-speaking countries. I mean, the by far the most immigrate immigration to Quebec comes from people who speak French, and um, and so the, and then they're talking about a values test, and so Trudeau knows this. I mean, I wouldn't expect folks in in Toronto to necessarily know this because it's kind of inside baseball politics within Quebec, but Trudeau knows this, and he was like, "Yeah, I support Quebec's ability to." even further control their own immigration. And when, after the press conference, the English media were asking different questions, you know, the rebel media was there and being all racist and not good. Um, and the French journalist seized on this very, very uh, quick moment of Trudeau because he wasn't responding to anything. He just kind of was like, FYI, I'm cool with what the CAC is doing. The, the CAC is our governing party. I mean, it's super funny in English actually, but it's not that funny to say CAC all the time in French. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so the journalist was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Trudeau, like you support a values test? And he was like, well, I support Quebec. He has this little sentence. He says, Quebec's reducing immigration. I support Quebec's uh, right to control their immigration. It's a good thing. And so he didn't necessarily say, I support you know, the language test or the values test, but he's playing with fire. And, I, and it's very fascinating because um, I think, you know, it's all happening in French. I don't think that was necessarily supposed to get outside mm. of Quebec. I don't think that this is because it is such inside baseball. I don't know if he thought that English journalists would, would follow up on it. But I've seen a lot of liberals tell me, oh, no, 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 no. He said that, that he's not supporting the values test. He's supporting uh, their right to do a values test. <laughs> Very important distinction. And 
and that he wouldn't even condemn the test because it doesn't, he's like, I don't know. I'll, I'll, t I'll let you know if I condemn the test when he sees it. Even though this has been something that has happened for years. And the last discussion about what would be on a values test was like as racist as you can imagine it would be. So it would be very simple for Trudeau to say, you know what, I think that this is going in a wrong path. I, would, I support Quebec to, right, to do this, uh, to have immigration, but this is wrong and we need to change this. He didn't say that. Of course not, but he did tell Jagmeet that he's not doing enough on racism. <laughs> Which is like, it's just so, it's like, let's just throw everything to the walls and see what sticks. And, but the other thing that they've done is they've created these new materials. I don't know if you've seen this, but they've created these new materials that where they've, uh, they're talking about their stance on, on migration. And so now the liberals have added to their materials uh, that they're gonna stop um, uh, asylum seekers who come in the wrong way, like who are like, you know, they're, they're adopting the kind of language that uh, the conservatives have always talked about, you know, people jumping the queue or, or like uh, getting into Canada the wrong way. So now the liberals have adopted that language. They're, they're very much like, we need to go after conservative voters. And it's like, yeah, I know we all noticed that Sheer tanked in the debates. Like he's obviously a shitty politician, but like, <laughs> wow. Like, what a rhetoric shift, eh? Because, like, what is this guy known for? Like, if nothing else, the lie that Canada is, like, super welcoming of, of refugees and welcome to all the refugees uh, since Trump said uh, no more to people from these particular countries, which, um, you know, uh, if you're not a regular listen to, listener to our podcast, we've talked about how that's not true and how that's uh, a false narrative. That's not what the Liberal government did. And, in fact had uh, one of the largest detentions of, uh, of, uh, of migrants uh, during his, his term um, uh, when a lot of Haitians were coming up through Roxton Road. Uh, but that, that, uh, that narrative has fully shifted now. Now they're talking about uh, making sure that people are not jumping queues or, or like the, the non-existent queue um, that conservatives are often talking about. Which is uh, another funny little reminder of how the rhetoric of the Liberal Party does not match what they do. Because they... Well, that will match. Well, Probably. Like, well, exactly. Because <laughs> in the last three years, their, their immigration policy... I mean, if you look at the number of Syrian uh, refugees that came to Canada, a majority came from private sponsorships, which the government has nothing to do with. And if anyone in the room is involved with private sponsorship, you know how difficult and how stressful that process really is. And um, they, uh, they decreased the number of refugees that Canada will accept. They went back to the targets that, uh, that were created by Stephen Harper, and they want to strengthen the third party agreement, the third country, th safe third country agreement with the United States, where anybody coming from the United States is just not allowed in Canada, period. Whereas right now, if you cross into Canada outside of a port of entry, you're at least processed. And so I think the, 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 the rhetoric which we're living in, we're swimming in it, and what we see on the day-to-day, -day, and this goes from the question of immigration refugees, from cost of living, from the environment, it doesn't match up. And we're told to like believe something that we can feel is not true. And I, I'm like, a lot of people call that gaslighting, I guess. I mean, Sandy and I have some critiques around the word about how it's used, because it's always used, and it could be just being lies. Lies is a good word, too. Um, <laughs> but but it, is, it actually is intended to make us question our 
cognitive abilities, our experiences, the experience of our friends, the experience of our family. And when you, when you generalize that across the whole country, it creates a really sick culture of, of, of people like not understanding why the lies just won't stop because they don't match up with my actual personal experience. And then depending on who you are, you know, the lies don't match with your experience either in a major way or in perhaps different kinds of minor ways. But this is what's causing, I think, a lot of the cynicism around electoral politics mm -hmm. because we can't trust anybody. It's not worth voting. Uh, voting is boring. It's not going to change anything. I mean... I mean, that's all true. I'm happy to actually defend those lines. <laughs> but, uh, but we have to vote. I hope you all vote if you haven't voted already. Um, <laughs> I have to say that or else people will be like, yeah, Nora. Like, <laughs> but, but how do we Canadians take back our political system from the hands of these parties that have just been, I mean, controlling Canada since Canada was founded? Like the same parties founded Canada in all of its... Flaws. I mean, today in the Globe and Mail, does anyone le read the Globe and Mail in this room? You don't be, don't be shy, okay? Wow. I read the Globe and Mail, even though I should not. Okay. <laughs> so in their opinion section today, they just for the listeners, no one raised their hands. <laughs> That's true. Um, so in the Globe and Mail today, there was uh, an article from a woman who was like, okay, um, it, this is election weekend. We should be talking about elections. Let me tell you a story about the grandmothers of confederation. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm there. And they're like, the grandmothers of confederation were the wives and the daughters of the grandfathers of generation. And I was like, well, the daughters would not be the granddaughters, but... <laughs> And, and so it just talks about, like, all this women went to Quebec City for the second conference after Charlottetown to create Canada. And I'm like, okay, I live in Quebec City. That's cool. And it was like, and, and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and therefore um, go and vote. And so it was just this construction of, like, women have always been there, and therefore we should vote, right? As if it's like, what? That's not an argument. That's in the national newspaper two weeks before an election. The, they had wives. Everybody, we should vote. <laughs> That's the message coming from our newspaper of record, right? And, and I mean, like, they're not going to publish my shit because they keep telling me no. So um, <laughs> how, do we, how do we, like, shake, shake them enough to be like, ah, stop. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and so, so trying to, trying to, to find uh, citizen power, again, what does citizen power look like in an era where uh, volunteerism is, is impossible because we're working too many jobs, where we're actually disconnected from each other more than we have ever have been, and where we think that social media is going to be the thing that saves us uh, in terms of revolutionary organizing or even just organizing to confront a politician. And even just like sifting through the quagmire of what the politicians are saying is kind of getting more and more difficult. Isn't it? I was like talking about the media, like this is what sparked this in my mind. It's like, you know... Has anybody seen the analysis that we just talked about with respect to the shift from the liberals? Like, have you read it in the Toronto Star? Have you read it in the Globe and Mail? Have you seen it talked about in, I don't know, the Huffington Post Canada or something? No, like McLean's. Like, no, how do you shift, sift through all of this if the very places that we are meant to go in, like, the public sphere to, to like, to, to get, not even the CBC, right? Not even our public broadcaster to get through this stuff isn't isn't doing the analysis for us. Well, you come to our podcast, but I mean, <laughs> you shouldn't have to. <laughs> you should be able to get it um, from our, our mainstream media sources. 
And another thing happened this week. Uh-huh. From the media. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. We haven't talked about this beforehand. And we never talk about our podcasts before we start talking. Just, you know, none of this is planned. It, was, it, was it Rosemary Barton? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So has, has, have folks oh, heard yes. about this? Okay. Nora, tell them what happened. There, so there's been a couple of things. And so I might get it wrong. But no. my favorite thing, and I thought that this was just so il- illustrative of where the CBC is and with, with election uh, coverage. And so... Um, we are out of the poll. The polls say that we are out of majority territory for the conservatives and for the liberals, which I actually am like super excited by. Me too. Right? I think that's chaotic good. I am down with that. Okay. <laughs> and um, and so you know the NDP is putting out their like their kind of feelers to say this is this is uh, 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 non-starter. You must have this as part of your plan for us to work with you. Uh, you cannot have this as part of your plan for us to work with you. Right. Kind of doing the the negotiations before we're in a minority situation government. Which is great. Which is great, and which is how our terribly flawed system is supposed to sometimes work. And so, uh, you know, the liberals are one party that the, that the NDP very near certainly will have to work with, right? It's like, obviously. And so uh, Singh was like, yeah, I'll probably work with the liberals under some conditions. And Rosemary Barton's like, Jagmeet Singh, is a hypocrite, because he will work with a party that has bought a pipeline. (laughs) As if, like, uh, if he became the prime minister, he would be the de facto owner of a pipeline, right? And that was actually, it was a headline. It was a headline on on an online news thing. It was like, Jagmeet Singh uh, promises to work with with leader who bought pipeline. It was like, it was like ridiculous. It was like, what? What? That's not what I was talking about. But that was <laughs> a, a really, a really like you know, it's illustrative of of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Um, in that, like, wh- I mean, what is that supposed to tell us? What does that headline tell us? What does that analysis tell us? Is it? Uh, it's like, it's as though we're, um, you know, like, I, well, I think actually the, the media does 100% uh, not respect that uh, many of us, or, or expects that many of us don't know how our political system works, which I think is true. I mean, we, we don't really have much civic education as we're growing up. And and so don't necessarily know what it means to be in a minority government, what types of negotiations have to happen, and so on. And so that sort of rhetoric just, I don't know, seems a little clickbaity. Like you get to say that somebody's a hypocrite without actually explaining like what happens in a minority government situation uh, when there does need to be some sort of um, either negotiation or the, the government falls, right? And so what a, what a weird and bizarre um, uh, way uh, to frame an issue. Yes. But no, that's not what I was talking about. Do you have any other guesses? Uh, is the fact that she's suing the... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Rosemary Barton and the CBC are suing the Conservative Party. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to know what that laugh was about. <laughs> I mean, I, I too am laughing, but I'm like... Yeah, so uh, they are suing the Conservative Party for using a clip that she alleges makes her... (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
She alleges that this clip has been torqued to make her look like a partisan hack. I mean, and then, but she's suing a party. I, like she kind of <laughs> does that on her own. This is where it doesn't make any sense, right? So we, and you know, I went to journalism school at Ryerson, so I learned all about neutrality and how it's like completely bullshit. I mean, I learned that, they taught us the opposite. And, um, and, and just this idea that, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? So the public broadcaster is a very good place for us to, to take the temperature on Canadian society and what mainstream Canada, quote unquote, thinks is the average Canadian. And Barton, I mean, she comes off as a partisan to me every single fucking time she tweets. So I'm not exactly sure how... The con- like the, it's it's the conservative thing that she's a partisan where she's like oh no, 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 no. I don't want to anger the conservatives right <laughs> I vote for you guys too right that and I mean it's actually great that you you uh, guessed wrong because <laughs> now we have this other example that we can point to right like you you're saying that you're trying to make uh, Jagmeet Singh out to be this hypocrite which is like so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> And then you're saying, like, oh, I'm not a partisan, and I'm going to sue the, the, the Conservative Party. It's just, it's so bizarre. And it's just like one of these things that you, I'm just so exasperated by our media, and I just want there to be better coverage of everything, you know, just everything. I just want us to be able to sift through everything without having to do so much work, which I guess will never happen in this type of society, but one can hope and dream, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and so the the idea that there's like a normative Canadian, I think we need to keep this in mind with reading this coverage, right? It's like this mythical 55-year-old white man from fucking Barrie, Ontario, <laughs> right? That's, that is who they write for. Barry. I, I mean, I just picked, I could have said uh, uh, London or Windsor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. And, um, and, and you know, if you're, not, if you're not the target audience, it kind of hits you really obviously and you, get, you, you feel it, right? But, the, but it, it's a self-reinforcing problem where we have no ability to critically look at what's going on. And that leaves us in this room, many other people, with, with despair, actually. It feels like despair. Because no one is saying what you're needing them to say. No one is saying, no one's giving you the analysis that you, that, that, you, that, you, that you need to hear. Like, okay, the earth is dying. All right, how many days do we have? <laughs> right? What, what is being done in Alberta to accelerate our collective destruction? Right? Tell it to me in these terms. Don't tell me that, um, that there's been year-over-year uh, year, uh, profits from the banks. Oh, year-over-year profits from the banks. Hmm, where did, they, where did they make money from? Oh, from me, from my user fees, right? Like, oh, oh, because they closed the branch. Oh, because they fired 2,000 people, and they're just going to put it all into the computers now. And, and when you, again, when you add this up across society, I mean, first of all, it takes a lot to, like, cut through with the bullshit. So, Sandy, you're saying it takes a lot of work. It also just takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. which we don't have. And, and it leaves people going, okay, well, I have to park my vote somewhere, so I'm going to vote for Elizabeth May, right? Or whatever, whoever you're going to vote for. Um, the elections are a really good time for us to f- 
feel that excitement around politics and to be like, none of this matters. And so the second that this passes, I'm going to take that excitement and I'm going to get even more into the political work that I'm doing. Because either we push politicians to do certain things or we don't. And if we don't, then they will not listen to us. But every time in history that there has been a moment that felt desperate, that felt unchangeable or immutable, it was always changeable and mutable by people organizing, mm -hmm. right? That has always been how it happens. And it always feels impossible until it happens. And, and that's some of the work that we do in this podcast is to talk about how exactly to do it. And through art is one way to do it, of course. And, and also just basic organizing, which I think a lot of us have lost the skills to do, unfortunately, mm -hmm. because we don't, we don't know how to talk to people necessarily, or we don't know how to organize people, or we don't know how to name the exact person that is the cause of all of our woes, which might be a Galen Weston, or it might be, uh, in my case, Calvin Romanescu with Air Canada, because he's like made me delayed by fucking 30 hours this week. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> For example, that's a hypothetical, Calvin. I was looking at um, my Facebook this morning, and someone had posted that they begrudgingly voted for the NDP today, but like were really frustrated because there wasn't like a viable alternative that would really shift our society. Um, and I was like, "But there is, there is. The alternative is actually us. Like the there's never going to be that alternative at." the ballot box. Like no, the change that we want to see happens the quickest when people force it to happen. It's not from politicians promising it. If you if you just bank on promises, like, you know, we're still waiting for childcare. When was that promised the first time? Like in the 90s, like the mid 90s? Something like that. Yeah. Like I don't know, right? Like it's bit, like you can wait forever or you can like get out into the streets or get into your community and talk and organize people and put these policy makers, these decision makers, these decision makers on notice that we're not going to accept um, uh, business as usual with whatever particular issue we're talking about. There is always a viable alternative. I used to think this way too, where it was like, you know. Uh, oh God, I have to begrudgingly vote, and there's no alternative. But there, is, like, the alternative is us. It's a lot more work than just checking a box, obviously. And our society is set up so that we don't have the time to do the organizing that we really need to do. You know, you're, maybe you're jumping from job to job. Maybe you've entered the gig economy because that's all that's available. And you're really just struggling with time, sleep, and so on. That is all built into the system so that it's difficult for us to organize. But for those of us who can, for those of us who can create those spaces wherever they are, you know, like, I, I look at uh, the examples of like the, the Lyft drivers organizing a union. That should be impossible, right? Like the way that it's set up, the gig economy, it should be impossible to be able to organize a union um, amongst uh, uh, people who are doing these rideshare apps. But they've done it. Like it's totally possible. It's, it's really difficult, but that's the alternative. Organizing uh, in as many ways as we can, as much as we can, to, to really transform the systems that control our everyday lives is the alternative. And we cannot see voting as like just the thing that we do. Mm. We can't. 
So I just wrote a manuscript for a book that's going to come out next year. So FYI, you have to buy it. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a book that looks at um, that, that, well, it's a book that says there's no feminist movement anymore in Canada, that it's been dead for years, and gives the analysis of what we've lost as a result and why things are so wacky. So why can Trudeau stand up and say he's a feminist without being expected to be pelted by eggs, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the book. Um, and one of the things that I, I didn't know much about, but when I was writing it, was the fight that won abortion access in Canada and how, you know, abortion was decriminalized in 1969, which meant that you can have an abortion if you could pay for it, which obviously meant that the politicians could pay for abortions for their secret lovers, uh, but uh, poor women could not, right? And so there was, uh, does anyone know about the abortion caravan? No. Wow. Okay. Yeah, a little. No, no. So, so a bunch of activists in uh, British Columbia around um, a group at Simon Fraser University were like, we are driving to Ottawa and we're going to decorate our van with abortion looking stuff. Um, not like the anti-choice movements. <laughs> um, and there they drove to Ottawa. This is 1969. They took their, um, their inspiration from the onto Ottawa trek, which I'm sure you all know about as well. No. So the On to Ottawa trek was the 1930s, uh, where men were being put into labor camps, and they were, um, you know, working under terrible conditions, and communism was spreading in a super wicked way, and uh, the men jumped on the rails, and they went to Ottawa to try and make their lives better. So the, so the, the activists in the 60s were like, we're going to do that, we're going to be a, the abortion caravan. And they get to Ottawa, and... Um, and we're talking, you know, women who are, I think it was all women who were like, you know, 19, 20, 21, um, and they, they get into the House of Commons and they like, like hide chains under their skirts and in their purses and stuff. You can actually hear um, the clip from the world at six from when this happened. It was Mother's Day in 1969 or 1970. No, it would have been 70, 71. Anyway, and, um, and so they just start chanting in the House of Commons. And the, the world at six reporter was like, history and pandemonium is made today in the House of Commons. And, you know, it's the, these women, they don't sound like, like really seasoned activists. So literally they're like, abortions kill. Abortion, or no, illegal abortions kill. And you're like, whoa, that was so powerful. And, and then they had this rally at, the, at, the, at, at Par Parliament Hill and, and Pierre Trudeau was, was the, the prime minister. And he was pissed because he was like, you ungrateful ladies, I decriminalized abortion, what the fuck else do you want, right? And so he tried, he, he goes back up to BC, the caravan goes, up, goes back home, and they have this meeting, which is also recorded. And, and he's like, I did what you wanted, you could have your abortion. And one of the women in the room says, not like, you can pay for an abortion, Mr. Pre uh, Mr. Trudeau, but poor women cannot. And he says, so? <laughs> and, the, and they're all like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> right? And that, that, the Royal Commission on, on the status of women, the abortion fight, the fight of, against domestic violence, the fight for childcare, that all kind of coalesced in the 1970s, which then created what we, what we understand to be the women's movement. But even then, what was it that got us access to abortion in the end? It was direct civil disobedience, setting up clinics that did it illegally that were constantly raided by the cops. That's the only thing that did it. And the women's movement collapsed after the, the victory in 1988 to decriminalize abortion, partly because a lot of white women were like, well, I'm good, I got my abortion, I'm out of here. 
And uh, also because when you don't have that big fight, like sometimes coalitions collapse. And, um, and the women's movement never came back in the same way. I mean, it continued for a couple of years into the, into the 90s and then, it, and then it collapsed by the end of the 1990s and the turn of the century. And so um, I say this story because, I mean, it's one of those accesses that we have in our minds that's like totally our right to have access to an abortion. And that came out of a struggle that seemed impossible. That came out of a struggle that required people to go to jail, that required direct action, that required courage. And then what happened this week the only private abortion clinic in New Brunswick is announced to be closed. Because unlike the United States, where legal versus illegal is the big issue, in Canada, it's not illegal versus legal. It's access that's funded because it's a public service. Mm -hmm. And when we defund hospitals, when we defund uh, private, like, cataract surgery and and knee surgery and and hip surgery, we also privatize abortion services because those are all para, you know, medical Medical, services. And so we are still in that fight. In fact, it's getting worse. We're still fighting for maternity leave. We're still fighting to exp- uh, expand paternity leave. You, you folks don't have childcare. I mean, I have $7 a day childcare, which is, by the way, amazing. I mean, I would pay like $100 a day because, I mean, kids like drive me crazy, but uh, I mean, my kids. Um, <laughs> but, but like the difference in the society that has access to $7 a day daycare versus that does not is, is, is incredible is incredible. And that came through struggle and through organizing and through having good arguments and through really hard work. And even stuff like education. I mean, we both worked in uh, post-secondary education advocacy uh, a lifetime ago. And you can see in this country, like the effects of having boots on the ground, a really organized movement to force change by just looking at the accessibility of post-secondary education across across the country. The places where there's the most organized, strongest movements have the lowest tuition fees, and the places that don't have the highest. Like, that's how it works. It's not it's not because one party is like necessarily a thousand times better than another on education though that may be the case we'll see like I, there hasn't been very good uh, promises with respect to election uh, education besides the greens who are promising free tuition um but the 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 differences in accessibility are are literally because of the ability to get people onto the streets and force uh, politicians to to either make a change or to acquiesce to what our demands are as people. And so, obviously, in Quebec, uh, students are are really organized and take to the streets any time there's a whisper that there might be uh, an increase uh, to, to tuition fees. And as a result, uh, they have the only free education in the province through the SAGEAP, uh, in Canada through the SAGEAP system. That's a post-secondary, um, uh, free post-secondary education. And the lowest, are they the lowest? Or is Newfoundland right now the lowest? I think they're the lowest tuition fees in the country. It's either Newfoundland or uh, Quebec, the lowest tuition fees in the country. So we have to wrap up soon, and I think that the way to end is to talk about joy and how one of the things that attracts me to uh, living an activist life is the fulfillment and the joy that it gives me because I find it fulfilling and joyful and, um, and injecting joy into the stuff we do. So Sandy, I know you've done a lot of joyous things in your life. 
What, what was one of the things that brought you some of the best joy? Oh, Tent City. So Tent City, if you're not familiar, was um, an action that we did, uh, Black Lives Matter did, uh, right outside uh, the police station um, when we were, we were trying to get some policy changes and some uh, the media to pay attention to a particular case where uh, the police killed Andrew Loku, um, a black man uh, outside of his apartment within seconds of arriving to the scene. And so we, we did this thing where we, we created an occupation of Nathan Phillips Square, which you might not know because if, if you saw like the, the news and everything with respect to, to this action, it was in front of the police station. We actually did it at Nathan Phillips Square first. Like that was the idea. And uh, it was it was fun. We had like a, a day of concerts planned. We also like planned to end the action um, within six hours. It ended up being two weeks. So uh, it was fun, though. Like <laughs> that's part of it, right? Like you can only continue to do something that's so hard because it's like the hardest one of the hardest actions I've ever planned. If it's fun, if there's joy there, if people can come together and generate some sort of like magic together, um, and you know, we 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 were having so much fun that night, and we didn't get any media because uh, Rob Ford died that night, and um, <laughs> I mean, I laughed. Uh, Rob. <laughs> Rob Ford died that night, so we didn't get any media, and, and the police were moving in, and it's Nathan Phillips Square, so it's kind of far off from the street, and no one could see us, and it was like all these cops, and we were just like, you know what would be really funny is if we went to the police station and did it there instead, because it's probably safer, it's like closer to the road, and it's like, you know, better in terms of like the message that we're sending, and haha, wouldn't that be hilarious? And then so someone says that at around like 10 p.m. or something, and we're all laughing about the possibility of that. And then two hours pass, and we're like, let's go fucking do it. <laughs> and we did it. And you know, like the the sustainability of that action, literally those two weeks, was only because we were able to generate so much joy. I remember. I was at this event uh, for uh, some uh, like labor union organizing at some point last year, maybe. And uh, Angela Davis was there, and she was like, "Oh, I want to hear more about uh, the the Toronto chapter of BLM. Like, tell me what's going on." And at that particular moment, I was feeling really shitty, and I was like, "Oh God, it sucks." And she was just like, "Oh no, you have to find the joy again." She's like, "The the the thing." takes us through organizing, and she's been organizing her whole life, right? She's like, the thing that takes us through organizing is the joy, and you had it at some point because you guys have been so successful, so you need to find the joy again. Like, go back, figure out how you can find it, go back to the community, figure out how you can generate the joy together, because you never get it alone. You can't just go find it. It's something that comes from being together, and what a great way to like wrap us back around to the beginning. Like, being together is a way to generate joy. You can't do it alone. That's part of why the isolation of the way that our, that our world is being constructed right now and the direction that we're all moving in in society to become more isolated feels like despair and why we have like these mental health issues that seem to be getting worse and worse. We need to come together to build that joy and to to organize, to get rid of all the stuff that's creating the despair in the first place. 
I'm just going to say my favorite moment was we were closing Gould Street at Ryerson oh, University. Oh, a good story. And so Gould Street was like kind of a, a minor street that had no purpose, but the city and the university were like, we're not doing this. And so we had a multi-year campaign to close it. And, um, and one morning to close it, uh, we ordered a bunch of sod and we covered the street with grass. <laughs> and because so, students are kind of like, you know, it's 8 a.m. You're like, right? They head down. They didn't notice. We're like, look up. And it was just like, ah, right? Mm -hmm. We brought soccer balls, we brought hula hoops, and people were able to go onto the street in their bare feet and, uh, and enjoy it. And it allowed people to see that it was possible. Now, we almost got charged with uh, vandalism, which was the only thing they can nail on us. But, um, but that street closed in the morning. And, you know, of course, it's been closed now for eight years. So it was a huge success. Mm -hmm. So that's the show. That's the show. And uh, if you don't know about SandyNora.com, check us out. Uh, this was a free show um, funded by our Patreon. So I do have to hope um, if you've got some money, uh, feel free to check out Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash SandyNora. Every uh, dollar that comes to us like helps with recording and producing and doing stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much to the playwrights. I hope that the play today, and of course you don't see it today, is, is wonderful. And thanks as well to the Tarragon for thinking about us and for inviting us. Mm -hmm.